Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and a therapist at Still Point. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point. Becoming the partner you want. Yeah, after last week's recording, I think, A, there was so much good stuff in there. I also think that there are a lot of concepts within Imago that need explained a little bit because hearing some of it, like you don't always understand, or maybe that was just me, or like the concept of sending and receiving, for example, like, yeah, like I know what those mean, but like what's actually happening? Mm -hmm. Something that you have to experience. Right. And one of the main things that we kind of saw as important to kind of elaborate on was becoming the partner you want. So what does that even mean to become the partner you want? When I started thinking about this, it reminds me of just like that initial step of realizing that I can become the partner that I want. And for me, becoming aware of the stories that I hold on to keep me from becoming the partner that I want. What do you mean by holding on to the stories? Well, if I hold on to a story that I'm not worthy of love, or if I hold on to the story that I can't trust anyone, then those things keep me from trusting and loving and being the partner that I actually want to be. I find that we often are constantly seeking that that right person, the person that will make all this stuff I'm feeling go away, whether that is trust or making me feel worthy or happy or whatever. And I find that becoming the partner you want is taking responsibility of your experience and owning it and allowing yourself to take care of your needs so that when you do meet someone, you don't expect them to do that for you. It's funny, Josh, even when I hear you explain it that way, like I know, I know that's accurate, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's this tiny piece of me that's like, no, that takes all the romance out. Like the goal is to be whisked away and saved and have your knight in shining armor come and just sweep you off your feet. And I don't, yeah. I don't think it has to take away like that romantic component of finding someone that you want to love and that loves you. Sure. I mean, I think that, I mean, in my opinion, like it adds to it because I, when I'm taking care of myself and my partner's taking care of themselves, which we will get into a little bit later, like it leaves more opportunity for you to actually be connecting, share intimacy and have that romance in the relationship. Where is if I'm constantly questioning whether I can trust someone, constantly trying to soothe my anxiety by controlling them and making them do things and it keeps it allows you to connect on a more deeper level or not a more deeper level, but a deeper level. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get my grammar 
right at some point but but yeah well again and i completely agree and i think what you're hearing is a little bit of my old story that if someone could come fix all of this whatever this is then somehow it'll be good enough which is not an accurate story because i agree like if we are looking at ourselves and we are taking responsibility for it, it absolutely creates more opportunity and possibility for desire and for connection and the things that are much more real than those momentary, like intoxicating moments. I find that a lot of us were raised witnessing very codependent relationships and it has exacerbated that cycle even in our own lives i mean i've watched codependent relationships all my life Mm -hmm. they were either overly codependent or entirely avoidant and even if we weren't witness to them in our homes or to the extent in which some people see them we also see them in media movies stories um like the definitive roles of female, male, and it, it reinforces that story of codependence. The idea that it is going to be like that knight in shining armor, like this isn't going to be messy, this is going to be organic and natural, and it's just going to flow, like no, like it's going to take work. And whoever thinks that it's just going to be flowy and natural is delusional. <laughs> you mean it's not going to be easy? Um, I don't want to say that it's not going to be easy because like, I find my relationship very easy and I, has it always been easy? Mm, There have been moments that have been kind of a struggle, but I think that sometimes we make it more challenging than it has to be, which is what I do. But I do think that it does take work. I agree. It does take work, whether it's easy, hard, or somewhere in between. And I think looking at our own stories is actually one of the harder pieces because that means you're in relationship with yourself, your own experiences, your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own behaviors, your own ways of sensing. And it is difficult and challenging to do that type of work. And I find that it's becoming increasingly more difficult for some to have that relationship with themselves because of the portrayal of success or portrayal of livability in media. And the more that they consume of what they should be and aren't or what they feel they should be and aren't, like it just keeps pushing that further away or that concept of actually being in a relationship with yourself when don't even like themselves. Well, there's that story. Yeah. Like the story to start off with was more, was challenging enough that I, I might not be worthy. I'm not, I might not be good enough. And then you pile all of those other stories on top, that comparison and that contrast. And then you get in even a more significant story of just not being enough. I find also that people make up stories about other people more easily than they do about themselves because there seems to be more of a drive to serve other people. And what I mean by that is, you know, I want to fix this for them. 
And if I fix this for them, then it will be better for me. Or, you know, I can't change this and I'm a victim to this. And therefore it's always going to be this way. And so people are placing themselves either in that hero or victim state instead of taking that responsibility for themselves. Yeah, I find it's that avoiding or projecting. <laughs> right. Another layer of this for me is that shift in perspective, knowing that you are bringing your own things, your own stories into the relationship. And I think that's a foreign concept for some people. Like yeah. we don't like to think that we are impacting someone with our wounds, with our hurt, with our experiences. And we've quote, let them go when really we haven't worked through them. And I think that really speaks to like some of the anxieties in the past wounds that we bring into the relationship in this, like I talk about how my own personal experience between relationships before getting into the relationship I'm in now, like before I'd never like really worked on what was happening, what happened in relationships and it impacted every relationship that I'd been in. And I recognized that the people that I chose following those relationships were very similar, if not <laughs> in some sense worse for me than what I chose after truly working through some of that stuff. Like the anxieties that were there, the inability to trust anybody, like and really, like, I couldn't trust myself to pick somebody that wasn't going to hurt me. So I projected all of my anxiety, that trust stuff onto other people. And I mean, I took a year between people and went to therapy and did my work and wasn't always fun or easy. I'm in a relationship now that is probably the most stable I've ever had. And... I don't want to say easy because there have definitely been moments where my old story comes up or came up and we had to work through it. I mean, but one of the things that I did differently with this relationship is I was very honest from the beginning, like this is where I'm at. And like, I kind of, I have this idea that like, if I'm honest with you and you, that's something you can't handle, then it tells me that this isn't right. Mm. And my partner has been very supportive and when moments of my anxiety do come up or did come up, I would be like, Hey, I'm like in my spiral state right now. All I, I need, I need to hear X, Y, Z. I need to hear that. It's just you and me that I don't have to worry about anything. He would tell me that and I'll be fine. And then I think in that, like it really speaks volumes to open and honest communication and being able to a know what you need and asking for it. And Josh, I think that right there is so significant because what I saw you like walking yourself through was you had to have a certain level of awareness in order to name your own experience of it and know what you need. And that is a process that sure. a lot of us don't learn in childhood and young adulthood and it is a skill that we can all develop with enough openness or curiosity to how we want to change 
to be the partner we want. I also like how you describe that if you're sharing that honesty and the like the partner couldn't manage that for themselves, then that would be like a sign for you. It's kind of like a guideline. And I think that does come with that self-discovery work of what, what do I know that I need to be able to be this partner that I want to be? And can that other person work with me in that space? I mean, because in my prior relationship, I may have been open and honest and they were completely unwilling to meet me there. And I always chalked it up to, well, I just have to give them time. It'll be okay. Like we'll manage somehow. Maybe I'm too much and maybe I shouldn't talk about this stuff. Maybe I'm the cause for all of this. Like, I mean, not to mention, like I had a lot of gaslighting and a lot of other things going on, but like yeah, I find that going through the process of know, learning who you are and what you need can truly shift how you pick a partner, which is later. <laughs> but like, it is well, life-changing, honestly. And I would almost want us to shift from the perspective of the partner or the other for a second because we're not only talking about how like we can show up to be the partner we want to be, but while all of this is going on for us as a person, it's also going on for that other person. And so there's a, there's a, also an awareness in forming relationship that that other person has stuff too. And some people might think that they appear to have it all together, that there's like, they've worked through their stuff and they're, they're perfect but I pretty much can guarantee that they have stuff. And I think that's really important to remember because then it helps with that expectation, whether it be known or secretive of how someone else is going to show up in the relationship as well. Like me, I am a total talker, like that open, honest communication. And yeah, like if something's bothering me, Let's talk it out. Like, I need to, like, get this off my chest. Very much a verbal processor. My partner, not so much. Like, he'll be going through things, and, like, you can tell, because, like, he kind of shuts down a little bit, and, like, and his perspective is, talking about it's not going to change it. But I still care. <laughs> I need to hear. So he'll tell me a little bit just to shut me up, and then. And, Josh, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> And it's very common for like those opposite parts to find each other because you can actually learn from each other in that way. And maybe that's why we became therapists because we want to talk through people's feelings with them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to be in relationship with a therapist. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, but even within that, like I've had to do more work on myself because I'm like, they're not talking to me about what's going on like, is the relationship okay? Like, have I done something? That's why they don't want to talk about it. So like a lot of those anxieties that come up, like I have to work through as they show up. And I find that like managing my anxieties and insecurities as we enter our in relationship, like A, it's our job. Like it's not our partner's job. Our, yes, our partners can show up for us and hold mm -hmm. space for us, but it's not their job to make us feel better. 
I mean, we can ask for behavior changes in certain situations, but it's not my job to be, to say, well, it makes me really anxious when you go out with your friends because you don't talk to me. So therefore you can't go out. Mm. Like, what the hell? And that is a story that has really been ingrained from childhood in my story where if they're not with you, then they are with someone else. I mean, and I watched that happen with my family. It was really true. Like if they're not with their partner, they are with someone else. And I got drug along with them. Yeah. So it was really hard to try and rewrite like, oh, just because I can't see them doesn't mean that our relationship is on the rocks or something's wrong or I think I have to battle more silence, like not knowing what someone really thinks or feels or trusting how they're portraying that. Like, is that real for them? Because in a lot of the dynamics I experienced, it was very conservative. Like you don't talk about those things or you don't show your feelings about those things or you don't really share or feel about something unless it's really bad. And so my learning curve has been how to break that silence for myself with other people navigating like I think it's more of the navigating piece that would bring anxiety for me which like you said like in doing our own work as therapists we get to practice constantly those stories that we've held to be true and being able to rewrite them to see more of what's happening in reality and something that Lori shared last week that she had shared with me during that year process that I was going through of like working on my own stuff is like when you're in a relationship, like you have to reassure yourself. Like when she was talking about how her husband gave her that really good compliment and how there are moments where she will replay that moment over for herself. That has been life altering for me being able to be like oh that one time when this happened a it has helped with my anxiety and there's also a question list that she would ask me every once in a while like have they done ever anything to make you feel that you can't trust them have they done anything that has broken your trust like going through like the real life stuff and like no no then why are you worried about it and then like I was able to actually like I don't know I guess those questions help break that cycle that story apart a little bit so that I could actually see the difference between the story I was telling myself in reality and I also find that when we are in a relationship and we are facing anxiety and insecurity, I mean, not even in relationship. I mean, this can be at any point. We are often trying to manage our experience so that we don't have to feel those things. And for example, like if we get really anxious going into a group of people or around people, then we tend to distance ourselves from large groups. Like, so we're reinforcing the idea that if I'm around these people or a bunch of people, then I'm going to get anxious. When in reality, rather than avoiding it, we need to allow ourselves to experience it because it's going to show us, A, the world's not ending, like you're okay. Can it be challenging? Completely. And 
absolutely. Yes, it is challenging to let yourself sit in that feeling because it sucks. But I do think that it is necessary to allow yourself to feel those things and to be honest about them. In those moments when I've been insecure and anxious, like that, like I was saying earlier, like, hey, I'm in my spiral. Like I'm in that space. Like I even named it. I'm like, I'm in my space right now. And my partner instantly knew like what was happening. And by being able to, to name it, to give it a title, it stopped having so much power because now it's just a place that I'm visiting every once in a while, rather than like this all consuming thing that I have no control over. Josh, what I like to call this, when we teach people this in therapy, or as like I practice it myself, I, I see it as parenting myself. Because what I'm hearing you do is walk through the things that a caregiver would have done for you way back when. And now you are teaching yourself how to do that, which is huge when it comes to self-regulation and getting back into a sense of presence, calm, connectedness. And that is something that people have to practice. I mean, and it didn't always go away right away. Sure. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times it never went away right away. Yep. I mean, but I think rather than trying to control other people and manage my experience as much, being able to actually talk about it and allow your partner to show up for you in that space and more importantly, like to show up for yourself in that space, like it allows you to own it and not really expect them to fix it for you as you are trying to work through and process it but having someone that is there supporting you is really nice. Yeah, I like that double support process, like recognizing that you are trying to support yourself and allowing for someone to show up for you and help you in supporting. And I honestly, I think that's very intimate. I mean, you're being super vulnerable. I mean, it's so much easier to be like, no, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to do this. I don't trust that B. Like, no, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> because then, like, I'm not allowing myself to actually feel anything. I'm trying to control it. And I'm potentially driving a wedge between my, me and my partner now. Right. Whereas if you are allowed, I mean, it's that thing we talked about during the safety series it's that symbiotic piece versus the differentiated and going from that symbiotic understanding of relationships into a differentiated perspective of relationships like that is hard like you are literally shifting a ton of neural pathways in your brain to like think about engaging with people in a different way and yeah it is not always fun but the impact that it can make on a relationship is profound. And because now I'm just like, please go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And in learning like Imago um, theory, Helen and Harville Hendricks have attempted to revolutionize like secure attachment, like relational living, differentiation, like giving permission to that, that we are different and unique people, that we don't have to be the same. 
and reconstructing this expectation that we can learn how to be in dialogue and experience connection with each other instead of holding on to the wounds or the hurt or the detachment from the things that are very significant to us being able to experience life. And in those moments where we are being honest with our partner, like this is where I'm at, I'm in that space, like this is what I need, and they tell you what you need to hear, whether it's some type of reassurance or whatever, and that anxiety, that insecurity is still there, I find a mindfulness activity is really good or just doing something different. When my partner and I got together, I was still in graduate school. I mean, so I always had something to do. I mean, and we were long distance. So I was an hour away. And then the moments when my anxiety would come up, I would be home, not really doing anything. And when I was able to like start focusing on something, like it really changed how I felt because like, I'm not constantly feeding this anxious, insecure feeling with ruminating (laughs) about this story that I've got going on. So I find that if we are able to shift what we're doing or do something different and keep our mind occupied during those times after we've been clear and talked about it, like I have found for myself that it was really, really helpful. Josh, what I like about these examples is that it reminds me that to become the partner you want, it has to start with you. I mean, the thing that they say in Imago is that it only takes one partner to do something different for the relationship to change. I mean, and that's so true. If you respond differently to how your partner is upset or whatever, Like that means that they're going to respond so that the trickle down effect is going to change at every junction. I see appreciations work really well with this. Like if you're, even if you just share one appreciation that day with your partner or with someone that you want to be in relationship with, it can soften the moment. It can give more opportunity for discussion. It can create reciprocation. Like there are lots of like possibilities in that appreciation state. I mean, hell, even beyond that, like if your partner's talking to you, mirror them. Or if you don't hear them because you're on your phone or you're whatever, like, hey, I, I, I didn't hear that. Can you tell me again? I'm like, I'm, I want to make sure that I hear you. Or like if they are upset, like rather than getting pissed off and offended or taking it personally, be like, oh my gosh, like I can't imagine how that feels for you being empathetic. But yes, I do agree. Like appreciations can make a huge difference. I mean, you get to start seeing your partner differently Mm -hmm. because you stop looking for those negative things that we play over and over. Like they didn't take the trash out. They always leave their freaking coffee cup on the table and their cereal bowls. But you start seeing all of the things that they do that you can be appreciative of and for. And I think we've demonstrated mirroring, like you bringing up the mirroring piece. And it is, I mean, it's a repetitive skill where you are using those really honed in listening skills and you are repeating back what you heard. But yes, mirroring is a repetitive skill. And I find that when you start mirroring, 
using it as a practice, like it feels really awkward. Mm-hmm. And it sounds a lot easier than it is, especially when it's an emotionally charged conversation. <laughs> well, and that brings up a great example because if something is emotionally charged, what is the likelihood of anyone hearing each other? And that would be a good example of like, again, you are responsible for yourself in that emotion, what you're doing with that emotion, how you're processing that emotion, how you're conveying that emotion. And if you were not able to do it in a productive, respectful way, then you really have no business sharing your emotion yet. You know, Josh, kind of tying into that emotional charge piece, I do want to make a distinction for our listeners that we are not talking about holding space for someone that is going to abuse you or for you to think that you have to be a martyr to whatever behaviors your partner is exhibiting because these techniques that we're talking about are more for people who want to practice presence in relationships and gain that awareness and that there can be curiosity for how to create desire. Because if you do find yourself in an abusive situation, there are different skills that you would need to passionately advocate for yourself. And I think that's completely different work. Because I think here, what we're talking about is two people being willing to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. And usually when it's an abusive relationship, responsibility is being pushed on another person and they're being punished for it in some way. So all of this stuff that we're talking about, does this mean that one person becomes responsible for the relationship? And I think there's three parts to a relationship in a traditional like diet relationship where there's two people. But I actually think there's a third part because you have two people and they have their own parts. And then you have the part that they share together, which is the actual relationship. It's the you, the me, and the relationship. I find that, no, we're not responsible for all of the relationship. We are responsible for us and our part in the relationship. And the thing that drives me crazy um, when people come in the office and they're like, well, it's 50-50. I'm like, no, it's really not. Like you have to be given like a hundred. I mean, and that's not to say that like there are times like when I can only give 20 right now and my partner gives a little more. I mean, I do think that that give and take is completely natural and normal. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not staying, I only give 20 and you always give 180 or whatever. Because there are going to be days when my partner can only give 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever. And then I'm making up and being there and holding the space for the relationship. But I do think that on a good day, if we are not giving a hundred percent, then I mean, cause 50%, like if I'm only giving 50% to something like I'm failing. And that 50, 50 piece, I see a lot comes with uh, stories of fairness especially if they have come from experiences with caregivers where things were absolutely not fair and they they're seeking for that equality in a relationship. I will never forget when I was in undergrad, I was an education major and I was in my 
class on how to be inclusive in the classroom. So teaching kids who are differently abled. And the saying that my professor said, like still to this day is something that I say to even clients, like fair is not always equal. I can't expect a fish to climb a tree. (laughs) So it's how can, depending on where everyone's at, how can we be fair and recognizing that sometimes fair in certain situations doesn't always mean that it's equal. Mm-hmm. Fair does not always mean that it's equal. And I do think that you made a really good point earlier about how, or maybe this is how I interpreted it, interpreted it, where not only is it important for at moments our partners to hold space for us, but us to hold space for them. And if we are becoming the partner that we want, it's not always about us Mm -hmm. and our needs. So I do think that like, what can our partner do? Well, if we want our partner to share, we need to be able to make sure that we're creating a space for, so they can and giving them an opportunity to, ask for what they need and not taking personally when they do make a request. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean we always have to have pom-poms with us, but, or that our partners do, but it does mean that we are present, that we're making the time that we're truly listening to understand and not just to respond and that we are encouraging them to continue their own personal healing as we grow together. I mean, because I find or have found for myself that it's the intimacy and the closeness grow as you are able to heal. I think that's very true. It's like you're knocking down the barriers that kept you in this small space. So you're just allowing it to grow. And I think that's a good indicator. I mean, that's that indicator for me at the beginning of a relationship, like, me being able to talk to you about this stuff kind of in some way lets me know like are you able to a hold that space and b are you willing to do that work too Mm -hmm. my dog's kind of coffee i think that listening to understand is so significant because it really is stepping out of your own story to listen to theirs and to know whatever they are bringing It is more about them. And if you are like an issue that they are bringing up, then more than likely you did participate. And I think that goes back to owning your experience and taking responsibility. It also takes a lot of humility. But I find that sometimes the shame and guilt that we carry, well, then I'm just a shit partner. And now I'm going to be shitty at you because I feel like crap. We're all human. And if it was completely perfect, we wouldn't want it. If it were completely perfect, we wouldn't want it. And I think that plays again between that illusion of that it's supposed to be perfect and the reality that, yes, it does take hard work. Yeah, I think that becoming the partner you want, A, can give you 
an experience of relationship that you may never have had and a closer, more intimate relationship than what one may have expected. And I think that means you get to be free, free with like more with yourself, free with other people, free with your partnerships and developing that presence, I think is what it's all about. So Josh, the story I am telling myself today is that more and more people can learn how to process their own hurt so that we can be in better relationships. How about you? I'm affirming that if even one person begins to make change in a relationship or for themselves, their relationships, current and future, will change. So it starts with you, it starts with me, it starts with us. Yep. And it's okay to need therapy for this stuff. I mean, shit, I did. Well, I was just thinking about that. Like, I kind of want to give a shout out to all of our people that, like, we've worked with for years, like, over years, whether we met you once or whether we've met you more, and be like, good for you. We see you do that work over and over and over again, and you are learning how to own your pieces so that you can show up. And it is a beautiful thing to watch. It is. It's really cool. That's why we love therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, as always, thank you so much. You can check out our website at stillpointhealing.com. You can check out our Facebook and Pinterest page at Stillpoint Healing. And until next time.